Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And uh, any one of you Bible students can tell me, what is Matthew 5 and 6 about? Sermon of the Mount. Yeah. The opening address of Jesus, of his ministry, that he for sure had well thought through. Very interesting sermon, very interesting truths you find there. Basically, you know, he starts out with the Beatitudes. That basically is different stages, fascinating stages of the Christian walk. That's how he starts his sermon. And then he starts to talk about being salt and light of the world. That is, you know, uh, you can say the, our mission, you know, the core of the Christian life. Uh, the core of our existence, why, uh, why God doesn't take us to heaven right away, you know, even though it would be better there, why we are still here. He talks about being salt, that us being salt and light of the world. We'll read a little bit here. We're going to note a very interesting thing. It can be begin in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are under, who are in the house. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, one thing I want us to note here in verse 16. You know, he talks about being light of the world, right? We all know we are Light, God wants us to be the lights of the world. But what does that mean? In verse 16, we see a very important part of what that entails. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Our good works are an essential part of what it means to be light of the world. Uh, you know, and we see, we understand when we you know, read the Gospels, this was an important part of the ministry of Jesus. You know, he didn't only preach and teach, sure, he did that as well, but we read how he is going around doing good. That was an essential part of the ministry of Jesus. Um, you know, we also need teaching and preaching for sure, you know. Uh, the Bible is clear that God wants each and every one of us, I believe, to share the gospel with our mouth. You know, we really should do this. But our acts, in one way, I think we can say, are, maybe, are even more important. Our acts are more important than our words. You know, you have this saying that says, your acts speak so loud that I cannot hear what you say. And I think it's much truth to that. You know, our action speaks even stronger, even you know, more powerfully than our words. You know, if I could choose between preaching a powerful sermon or between you know, reflecting Christ in a powerful way through my acts, you know, I would I would prefer the acts, you know, every time. I would choose that every time. You know, that's much more powerful. But, you know, how, how can we do this? How can we, you know, by our good works, let our light shine as God wants us to? Uh, how can we, yeah, fulfill our mission to be light of the world? Uh, I want to know more about that. Come with me to 
James chapter 1. James, in the end of the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph, probably the, the leader of the early church, uh, James chapter 1, verse 27. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Now, it's it's interesting actually, one thing we can notice here. It says, God and the Father. You know, usually we think, um, uh, you know, God and Jesus, right? God and the Son. But here, the brother of Jesus, he got the point. He said, God and the Father. Jesus is God. The Bible is very clear. Never doubt that. Yeah, I can show you that even from the Jehovah's Witness Bible. God and the Father. Anyway, pure and undefiled religion, uh, it says here. Uh, here it, it's describing what pure and undefiled religion is. What true religion is. True Christianity. You know, I want to do that. I want to know what that is. You know, I want to serve God. I want to, you know, follow God. I, what is it? Pure an undefiled religion. You know, in God's eyes. Here it comes. Listen to this. Here. It is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. To keep oneself unspotted of the world. This is true religion. In God's eyes. Visit orphans and widows in their needs. Keep oneself unspotted of the world. Acts of mercy, you could say, is, is the core of what it means to serve God and to, to you know, yeah, to worship God. And to what the core of what it means to, to live as a Christian. If we think, you know, about ourselves, do we do this? Do you? Visit orphans and widows? Are you doing these kind of things? If we are not doing that, are our religion true religion? Do we really serve God? For, for some time ago, um, I visited a lady uh, in her home, uh, a lady from, from, from the church, Adventist church, uh, and... Um, and I asked her, I talked with her and asked her what she thought about the local church she was attending, the church she was a member of. And when I asked that question, um, the first she said, almost I think with, with tears in her eye, eyes, was that when, when she moved there with her three kids, um, the oldest one, or it was four years ago or something like that. The oldest one, age of 14 at the time. Uh, three kids, you know, she, in addition to that, she was in a divorce situation. She had a disease that made her didn't have a lot, very little energy. And, but she, four, this happened four years ago. She came to this church, went through, going through this hard, you know, situation. And she said it took more than one year before anyone in her church invited her home for dinner. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
she said it was it wasn't even many people that talked with them you know when they came to church and even greeted you know them even after you know almost she had they had to go themselves to greet them the people and eventually, you know, in order to, to greet everyone, you know, to meet everyone in the church. And she said also she had not gotten any official visit from the church during all these years they had been in this church, in this local church. And it's not a very big church either, actually. It's a tragical thing to hear, I think. Uh, I think we need a reform in this area, you know. And, Acts of mercy, you know, these kind of things. This is the very core of true religion. And actually it says also, you know, Paul writes that we are to do good, especially against the people of the faith. First, actually against, you know, people in the church. You know, in Matthew 25, uh, when Jesus, on the last day, when it describes how he will separate, right, the, the, the sheep and the goats, the, the saved and the lost. What separates them? What, what makes the distinction? What, what is the difference between those who are saved and those who are lost? You know, the sheep and the ghosts. Their acts. Their acts of mercy. That is what separates them. It's not, you know, the Bible knowledge. It's not, you know, the theory, how much they know about the prophecies, all these kind of things. So it's very good and it can help us and we should know these things. But it is the acts that separates the sheep from the goats, the lost from the, the, the self from the lost. You know, he says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. Come, come with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. This is a very interesting chapter, a very important chapter, a fascinating chapter. Uh, how many of you, this will be interesting to see, how many of you would say that you know what this chapter is about? Can you raise your hand? Okay, some of you, but quite few, actually. Uh, but I, I expected that. I didn't really know this chapter at all for, for not very long ago. Uh, but actually, this chapter... You know, you should see what Ellen Wright writes about this. She writes a lot about this chapter. She says that this is a message for this time. This, uh, you know, the message from this chapter should be given over and over again. You know, this should be preached. This should be, you know, we need to, this needs to get our attention. Uh, this chapter is of highest importance, she says, and especially, you know, it's importance uh, for the people of God in the time of end. She even says that this chapter, uh, should, we should memorize it by heart. Very interesting. And I, I read some of these things before I knew the chapter. I was like, what? What is I didn't know this. You know. So I started to study it, and I need to find out what this is. You know. So let's, we'll spend some time in this chapter. Chapter 58, and we will begin in verse, in verse 2. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways. As a people that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of justice, they take delight in approaching God. So here, this is a message to, to the people of God. A people that seeks God daily, that delight to know God's ways, uh, they delight to approach God, 
uh, we read in the end of the chapter, we understand they are keeping the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath-keeping people of God that is addressed in this chapter. They are, you know, they are, they are fasting, you know, they are, they are praying. They are, this is the kind of people that is addressed here. Um, but even though they do these things, the situation is far from what it should be. Listen to verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Okay, notice, this is very interesting. Three times, you know, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. God tells the prophet, you know, he gives him a message to the people. So this is a very important message. So he tells him, you know, really, get this message through. Spare not, tell it. They need to hear it. They need to hear this. And listen to what he says after that. Tell my people their transgression. The house of Jacob, their sins. They are, you know, they, they seek out daily. They believe in God. They pray to God. They fast. They keep the Sabbath. But still the situation is far from what it should be. Why? Let's continue to read. Verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. And exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You do not fast as you do to this day to make your voice heard on high. Is this the fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? And to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? An unacceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free and to break every joke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring to your house the poor who are cast out. When you see the naked that you cover him. And do not hide yourself from your own flesh. These people that is addressed here. They have, a knowledge, they have knowledge. They have a lot of knowledge about God. You know, they attend meetings. They are doing religious ceremonies. You know, they are praying. They are keeping the Sabbath. You know, they go to church. But they are missing. They are lacking the very core of true religion. Of true Christianity. Acts of mercy. They are not doing what God calls them to do. The work God has appointed them. To do. Is that not the same with many Christians today? Would you agree with that? We have, you know, we have a lot of knowledge. We know about the Bible. You know, we may go to church. We pray to God. We seek God. But what do we do with what, in God's eyes, is the core of true religion? What do we do for the poor? What do we do for the for the foreigners in our countries? What do we do with those who are divorced, those who don't have a father figure in their home or a mother figure in their home? What do we do for the sick, 
those in prison. What do we do with what God has called us to do? How is it with you? Are you doing these things? You know, some time ago, I, I started to read a little bit in the book Welfare Ministry. And this is, this is a powerful book. I haven't read all of it yet, but just by reading the foreword, I understand, man, this, this is a powerful book. We need to, we need to get this message. Uh, you know, he talks about this kind of work, welfare ministry, you could call it, or Ellen White sometimes call, actually refers to it as medical missionary work, which is, entails quite much. All, uh, it includes all acts of mercy, basically, this term at, at times when she uses it. And, and it says, you know, in the foreword of this book, it says that, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, they are not, we are not so acquainted with this work, with this type of ministry, even though this is actually a work appointed by God to do. And not only that, it's a work appointed by God to do, but it's also a work that promises rich rewards. Uh, you know, it says a lot of powerful things. It says, like, this is, this is the ministry that will bring life into the churches. This is the work that God requires people to do, a work of God's own appointment. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful book. One chapter in this book is just talking about Isaiah 58. And it's, it's, yeah. Anyway, let's continue through. We'll read a little bit more. Verse 8. Basically, here it talks about what will happen when we start to heed the call and do the appointed work God has for us. When we do these things, welfare ministry, medical missionary work, as God calls us to do. Listen to this. Powerful promises. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, pointing a finger and speaketh wickedness. Verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. And strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Because of time, we will not read all of this chapter. The end of it, all the promises, is powerful. I would encourage you to study it more. You can use the reflection time afterwards to look into these things. Very important. Especially in the time of then for the people of God. Anyway, I want us to notice a few things here. It says when we do this, this work that God has appointed us to do, welfare ministry, medical missionary work, then our light shall break forth like the morning. Powerful promise. Uh, what would you say? What is the greatest argument in favor of Christianity? What would you say? Greatest argument in favor of our faith. What do you say? Ladder? I can't hear you. Christian home? Yeah, that's... It's one of the most powerful things. You, you have some, and I might have some, <laughs> some similar quotes actually several times. But one thing she points out 
at one time. She says, Ministry of Healing 470, the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. What the world needs more than anything else is to see Jesus through us. To see Jesus through our lives and through our acts of mercy. That is what the world needs more than anything else. And it's when we do this, then our light, you know, God calls us to be light of the world, then it's when it really is going to start to happen things. Our light will break forth like the morning. Powerful. The other thing that comes afterwards, also powerful, it says, your healing shall spring forth speedily. When we get involved in this type of work as God has appointed us to do, as he wants us, we will see a spiritual healing in our churches. This is very important for our churches to wake up and to become on fire, that we get involved in this type of work. And this is the type of work that we need a lot of people to do. You know, basically everyone, you know, everyone should be involved in this type of work. Somehow. Um, and when we get involved in that, our churches will be revived. Powerful promises. Uh, the last thing I want to notice here in this verse is, and your righteousness shall go before you, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You know, I didn't, I didn't understand this verse. I like, man, this sounds strange. I don't know what this means. But then when I was reading this other area, suddenly it dawned on me, I understood the point. This is how it was for Jesus. The righteousness of God went before him. You know, before he came to our city, people had heard about his acts of mercy. And they were they longed to receive him when he came. The glory of the Lord shall be a real God. After he had been someplace, they were talking and praising God. They talked about what he had done. You know, his acts of mercy... God's love were going before him and after him. And that's why his ministry was so powerful. Because it opened so many hearts. It's time to do the work that God calls us to do. It's time to to let God shine through us. Through our words, but not only through our words, also through our works. That the world can see the gospel in action, the love of God. And that our churches may be revived so that we can reach out and finish the work in this generation. When we do this, we will really start to prosper as a church. Uh, what I want to encourage you to do this morning, or challenge you to do this morning, is basically to pray that you may understand how God wants you to be involved in this type of work. How many of you want to take that challenge? Pray that God may help you understand how you can let your light shine through your good works. Amen. I want to pray that prayer. I'm praying that prayer. And I pray that this will not only be something we pray, but that we may live our prayers. That we may do what we can to find out 
what God wants us to do. By reading a book like Welfare Ministry, Ministry of Healing. By thinking and praying about what we can do for, you know, for the people in need around us. Where we live, you know, for the poor, for the, for the, for the foreigners, for whatever. That we may think and pray and study and under, try to understand what God would have us to do. A couple of businessmen, they were rushing through an airport. They were trying to catch a plane. And uh, as they were hurrying through this airport, uh, and one of them, you know, picked up his hand luggage, he hit an you know, uh, a cage of, or a box of apples and, you know, it, the box fell to the ground and the apples were like rolling around everywhere on the, on the floor. And, but the businessmen, you know, they were hurrying through, they were hurrying forward, they had to catch this plane, they didn't have time to stop, but one of them, he stopped. He looked back, he saw all these apples, you know, laying there on the floor. Then he saw a little girl standing there with thick glasses. Under these thick glasses, he could see a tear in the eye. Now, he was in the middle between the girl, you know, and, and the other businessman hurrying to catch the plane he was supposed also to catch. And, you know, one of them, they looked back and said, hurry up, you know, we don't have time for this. But the businessman, he, he looked back on the little girl, and then he told them, I will see you back in the States. Then he went to this little girl. She picked one of the ap- up one of the apples and you know she looked at it. And he said to her, "It will be all right. I will help you." And you know he picked up the b- apples, the bad apples he, he gathered and he threw them in the trash. Then he took up hundred dollars and he gave it to the little girl and he said, "I hope this will cover the damage." He looked at her, but he wasn't sure she could see him because the vision was probably not so good. And she didn't answer him, so he repeated, he said, I hope this will cover the damage. Gave her the money. And, you know, she looked at him. He could see a tear, a tear in her eyes, but she didn't say anything. Then he said, I have to go. And he turned around and he started to walk away. But then he heard, you know, silently he heard a voice saying, Wait, are you Jesus? Are you Jesus? Who do people see when they see you? If you want them to see Jesus through your words, but not only through your words, also through your actions and through your life. If that is your desire, I'll ask you to stand up together with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are here 
because of your love. Because of your love towards us, you haven't taken us up to heaven yet. Because you want people to see Jesus through us. That is our mission. That is the reason for our existence. And you see, God, we are standing here in front of you this morning. And I want to pray that you may forgive us those times where we have not reflected you as we should. Forgive us for the acts of mercies that you have called us to do that we have not done. God, help us so that people can see Jesus through our words but also through our actions. God, we want to pray that you may help us understand how we can be involved in this type of work, medical missionary work, that you have said, that you have appointed us to do. And I thank you for the powerful promises of rewards that you have given with this type of work. So God, I just pray that you may show us what to do, what you call us to do in this area. And not only that you may, that we may understand that, but help us, God, to, to really, by your grace, actually do it. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.